Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, as is our annual tradition now, this is our Gear 30 episode that is dedicated to kind of recapping our Winter Buyer's Guide. And Luke Kappa and I are going to be talking about just some of the trends that we're noticing and highlighting a few interesting fun facts and takeaways that we found by putting this guide together. Now, just for a couple fun facts about our 21-22 Winter Buyer's Guide, uh, our guide features 231 skis. Now, if you're not quite sure if that's a lot or a little, I would just ask you, go pick up any other buyer guide, see how many skis they are talking about in a meaningful way. Our guide also has 51 pairs of boots, 16 different AT bindings, 14 climbing skins, and 67 pieces of apparel and helmets and goggles. So we've got quite a bit going on in this very big book of ours. And one of the things that we say every year that frankly differentiates us quite a bit from some of the other guides out there and from the copy you might read in some of the other guides We'll actually stand by every single sentence in our guide. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't room for a reasonable difference of opinion over a given ski or boot, but none of this is made up BS. This is, in fact, our honest assessment of many hundreds of these different products. So that gives you a little bit of background on the contents of our guide. And then, yeah, in this episode, we're going to be talking about some of the highlights and the trends and other things that we are noticing. Now, related piece, next week on Gear 30, we've got a really interesting conversation where we really kind of pulled back the curtain on the gear reviewing process and how a lot of ski testing in particular still happens by a lot of review outlets out there. Now, when it comes to this world of gear testing, some of you maybe know a bit about some of the practices that we frankly just don't do at all here at Blister because we think it's the wrong way to do things. But I have a hunch that a lot of you are going to be quite surprised to learn about some of the way that gear tests and ski tests get conducted and how it goes down and, well, frankly, why we do things pretty radically different here at Blister. So anyway, that's next week on Gear 30. I think you're going to want to hear that one. Getting back to this episode of Gear 30, this episode is presented by Avocado. Now, some of you have already been checking out this article I've been writing called Jonathan's Sleep Experiment, and I keep adding to that a bit each week, and we will include show notes to that piece in this episode. But what I want to talk about here is Avocado, who I have been talking about on Gear 30 and why we have partnered up with Avocado. One, we've told you they make the highest rated mattress on Consumer Reports, and that's for all mattresses of all categories. So their product is very good. But in addition to that, their sustainability efforts really set them apart. And I want to just tell you a bit more about what we mean here, because again, a lot of companies like to talk about how green they are. But listen to this. In March of 2020, Avocado became the first carbon negative mattress company on the planet, and that was 20 years ahead of the target set by the Paris Agreement. In May of 2020, Avocado became a certified B Corporation, and they also set a new standard for 1% for the planet members, and 1% ended up naming Avocado its inaugural Pinnacle Award winner. And that is a distinction that honors a business that raises the bar for environmental responsibility and goes above and beyond the commitment to the organization. 
1% for the planet chose Avocado Green because they've donated millions of dollars to support 30 nonprofits that address 1%'s core mission and Avocado's commitment to carbon neutrality. So again, this is just some of the information about Avocado. There is a lot more that you can learn on the Avocado website. If you go to avocadogreenmattress.com, we'll include a link to that as well. But again, we were proud to partner with Avocado, one, because we like companies that make exceptional products, but we really, really like companies that are not only making exceptional products, but also really raising the bar when it comes to their own sustainability initiatives. So you can check out Jonathan's Sleep Experiment if you want, or go to Avocado's webpage. That's avocadogreenmattress.com. Check things out and you'll learn a whole lot more about their sustainability initiatives. And with that, let's now go ahead and get to my conversation with Luke Kappa. Here we go. All right. Well, I am here in Blister headquarters in Elevation Hotel at Mount Crested Butte with Luke Kappa. And hey, Luke, do you realize one week from today, we're recording this on Wednesday, November 17th, we're going to be riding chairlifts. I do. Maybe even skiing, unless we decide to not get off the chairlifts. I don't, do they let you do that during not, the winter? I think they frown upon yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, have you ever done it? It's scary. I don't think I've ever ridden a chairlift downhill. And I can imagine that, yeah, it would be very scary. I once uh, got on a chairlift and was wondering why like my left ski was swinging, like the tail was swinging out and back. And then I looked down. I think this is before I started Blister or the early days of blister. And then I looked down and I had ripped the heel piece out of the mm. ski. And so the, the heel piece was still attached That's to a, my boot. The uh, MacGyver telly setup. <laughs> yeah. I got to the top and ski patrol wouldn't let me ski down. Like they, they stopped me from skiing down on one ski. Huh. And they're like, you have to ride the lift down. And I promise you riding down was way scarier than skiing down to the bottom holding a ski mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah i i guess it depends on where on the mountain i was skiing on one leg is really tiring but usually doable for the most part yeah so all right well given that i propose this year we only ride the chairlifts up and then then we ski down i'm on board with that okay but that's pretty great and kind of wild now you've already been skiing i have not i've been traveling around and doing stuff so this could very well be the case that opening day is my first day this year. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say I've been skiing. <laughs> I went skiing once. Um, I've done basically nothing for the past several months. Um, but yeah, the this past Sunday, um, Drew Kelly, Dylan Wood, and I went out into the Crested Butte backcountry and found some decent snow. It was basically like classic colorado early season conditions like ski a few turns of like good fasted pow and then you hit a stump and then your next turns are like rock solid windboard and then you stick your ski tip under a tree and um so yeah it's a little bit of everything but overall it was nice to at least just like get out there skin to the top of a mountain and get some turns in and thankfully i didn't totally forget how to ski because this was also the first year I had not done the ski every month thing. Um, I think it had been, I want to say four and a half or five and a half years of doing that. So normally I'd at least skied like uh, once a month through the summer and fall, but did not do that last year because we had yet another super warm spring and dry spring that made the snow conditions in late May look like it was uh, August of two years ago. Um, and I, if it looks that bad early on in the spring, then, you know, it's going to be more awful than it typically is later in the year. So anyway, first day, uh, it was, it was pretty fun overall. I was, I didn't feel like I was in as terrible of shape as I expected to feel. Mm. It was more my, like my legs. I was, I was breathing stupidly heavy on the way down um because like the outrun was kind of like a mini mogul field because there aren't too many places to ski right now uh so it's pretty popular 
and I had to stop a whole bunch because yeah, I haven't used my legs to do anything other than like walk to and from my fridge and my desk. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was good. Skied the new Nordica Enforcer Unlimited 104, which is part of their new touring collection. And people, uh, Blister members can check out uh, my flash review on the site for very initial impressions. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, pretty positive, pretty intuitive ski and definitely looking forward to spending more time on it. It's like the old one, but this one is unlimited. Yeah, except and it weighs about <laughs> almost 600 grams less <laughs> than the other one. <laughs> it's unlimited, Luke. That's yeah. all you need to know. Why would you get the limited one, really? Well, that's the weird, I never understood that about, uh, like car trim models. The limited is the best one usually, which as a child made absolutely no (laughs) sense to me because it's like got all these limitations on it. Right. Um, so maybe some other brand could come out with their ski and call it the limited. (laughs) Wow. I should do that. I'd like to take this moment. We're only five minutes in and I'm already wanting to apologize to people. So apologies. No apologies for me. No apologies from Luke. He's keeping it unlimited over there. All right. Listen, we've got work to do here. I don't know if you're aware, Luke, we uh, recently put out our latest winter buyer's guide. Oh, really? How'd that go? It was great. (laughs) (laughs) We've already repressed. We've already repressed, you know, the actual doing. So yeah, it's, it's actually right there on the table in front of you. It's nice. A lot of good feedback. We went glossy. We went glossy this year. And heavy. And heavy. That's, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, we're not going to go into all that. But yeah, we've always gone matte finished in every single previous year. This year we switched it up. I don't know. Do you guys like the glossy? Do you, did you miss the matte? Do you have a strong opinion? No, I, I mean, I did the normal thing where even after the guides finally showed up here, I didn't open one right. for like two weeks, I yeah. think. But I finally took one home the other day and... Honestly, I was surprised that I didn't really notice it. Hmm. I think the combination of the like substantial paper we used and the glossy isn't like super glossy. And it, does, it, it doesn't have that like kind of cheap magazine, super thin and glossy, like crinkly feel to it. So yeah, I guess I surprisingly don't really have a strong opinion on it. That said, we are incredibly grateful for the many comments that have come in saying that, you know, good job on the guide and all that stuff. So uh, anyway, that said, I think today we want to do kind of what we do every year, which is just go through on the publication of this big book you know, go through, sit down and just talk about some of the interesting things we're seeing, perhaps some trends, perhaps a rant or two. And that is our work here today. So I don't know, I guess we should say people can find the digital edition of the guide that is now available on our site. You can still order print copies of the guide. Um, It really is a nice big underscore big book. So you can order your print edition if you like, and uh, it's worth having the Bible, the Bible, Luke. Okay, but let's dive into the trends. Um, Where do you want to kick things off here, Luke? One of the first things that uh, stood out to me is that, as we've talked about endlessly over the last several years, there are a lot of fairly lightweight skis that companies are designing for people who ski at ski resorts rather than skinning in the backcountry. And... I guess among all of our reviewers, we've had somewhat mixed feelings about them. Um, we've liked some of them. We've hated others. But the trend I was noticing this year as we we're putting these 230-something skis together and comparing them to each other is that I think, in general, companies are getting better at making lightweight skis. I feel like I noticed this the most in the lightweight resort skis because touring skis have always been pretty light. But um, just like a few examples from this guide, like the Black Crows Serpo, the Armada Declivity series, the Atomic Maverick series, RMU's new Apostle, uh, the new DPS Pagoda line. These are all pretty lightweight skis that I got on and I was like, I can understand the decisions that were made um, here in terms of shape, flex pattern, um, rocker profile. And I just think people are kind of figuring it out. We're not seeing quite as many light skis that are also super, super stiff or um, these other characteristics that, that just don't go super well with making a lightweight ski. And in general, I'm, I mean, I'm psyched to see that because 
a few years ago, we'd get in a very lightweight alpine oriented ski and I would kind of dread skiing it. But now that's not the case. And I, I'm kind of trusting the manufacturers more to uh, know what they're doing and put out a, a decent product uh, in, in this category. And I assume we're probably just going to see it continue to expand. Um, but yeah, the lightweight category is still hot, but I think it's it's getting better. Hot and better. Wow. Starting off positive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing I will maybe want to just remind some people here or call it a public service announcement, you know, we had a comment come in recently on the site and somebody was saying that they had been skiing the Line Vision 98 and this is a quite light ski that Line wasn't really calling a backcountry ski or an inbound ski, but just kind of like a free ride ski, but it's a light ski. And somebody wrote in and said, you know, I really like this ski, but I've broken like two pairs already. And they didn't say whether they were skiing them inbounds with an alpine binding. They didn't say like their height or weight. But this is just something that I want to keep reminding people of is like, so if Luke's point is we're maybe seeing better lightweight skis just in terms of performance, I don't disagree with that. But there are still trade-offs. And again, I would love to know, uh, especially how heavy or how aggressive this person is. And if, in fact, they had mounted a very lightweight ski with an alpine binding, I mean, I would I would destroy a ski like that for, I think, everyday riding inbounds around here. Whereas I think, I mean, we have ski divisions as touring skis, and I think they're really good. And so again, just a reminder, I know we tend to like, oh, it's light and better, and therefore there are no compromises. It's like, there's always compromises. So something to just keep in mind. And, you know, I don't know. I think that'll be like, it's awesome to see companies making lighter stuff that we think performs well. I'm not sure I'm ready to say as a generalization like and now they're way lighter than skis used to be and they're equally as durable like we're starting to get back into like hashtag physics yeah yeah my my point is for what they are they're getting better i'd say yeah it's by no means are light skis now performing like much heavier ones it's just that i think yeah i think that companies are coming up with more cohesive and sensible designs yeah for given categories and demographics. Yeah. And if you are more of a finesse oriented skier and you get to ski at a ski area that has incredible coverage most of the time, probably get along just fine with these things. Yeah. And to clarify, like I'm mostly referring to like resort oriented lightweight skis that yeah. are, I think all the ones I mentioned in the lengths we have are between eight, 1800 and 2000 grams. The Vision 98 and 108 we view as touring skis and we have touring bindings on them and they've held up great for us. But I've, I think I've only taken a lap or two in the resort Mm -hmm. on them. But anyway, yeah. What else you got? Um, so another pretty general one and kind of branching off what we just talked about, I think going through the whole guide this year, there are very few types of skiers where I think like, oh man, you only have like two skis to choose from that are actually good for you. Um, Whereas in years past, we've felt like certain niches or categories of skiers were kind of like running out of options or there weren't new options that were really targeted at them. But yeah, if you want a heavy, damp, stable, traditional ski, you've got some really good ones. In a lot of different widths, across a lot of different widths. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not just like carving skis or or super fat pow skis like across the board. If you want a lightweight ski, but you're a strong skier, as we just talked about, there are a ton of good options. If you want a more forgiving ski that's not flexing like a two by four, but you still appreciate something that has good suspension, lots of good options. And uh, I feel like this is more carried over from the past few years, but like 50-50 or touring skis, I feel like just continue to get better and more uh, diverse in terms of like, they're not all directional skis anymore. There's, yep. you can get a, a lightweight touring ski with a twin tip, like the vision 98. Um, 
and you can kind of find a little bit of everything. But I feel like overall the the ski industry is in a in a pretty good place and not like totally um, ignoring a specific uh, skier style. Um, so yeah, I think, and I'm not going to say that you can't go wrong, right? Um, but especially like what I notice is when I'm going through these categories there are often several similar skis in a row where I'm like, like these all would work really well for this one type of skier. And it's now it's more just narrowing in on, on the very specific details that set a ski a from ski B. Yeah. Um, And if I, I would add it to, even if we were going to be what I would call lazy and say like, boy, nobody's making a bad ski anymore. That strikes me as lazy and wrong. But the biggest thing it's like, well, you're not everyone. And so what we do is like, okay, cool. Who are you? Where do you ski? How do you ski? And as we get more information when we're talking to, you know, a blister member or something, we never are like, oh yeah, like pretty much anything will work for where you live. Have fun. It's really about trying to home in on what we think are going to come down to be the two or three best options for you. And I think I will agree with you that like, in previous years, I might get to like, I have your one exact ski in the world for what you've been describing. And I do think that increasingly it's like, eh, it's maybe two, sometimes three. And then we go through like, okay, but of those three, here's the trade-off here, here's the trade-off here, here's the trade-off here. And and just letting people get, you know, really, really homing in. And But I think I do agree with you that it's like, there are more options. Whereas in the past it was like, Oh, you're, you want, what do you want? Dot, dot, dot. Here's your one ski. We're done here. So I had a bit of a question. You know, we've been talking a lot over the past several years about women specific skis versus unisex skis. And, you know, putting together these guides each year, I was curious if you had a clear sense of whether like, where is the needle moving? Like, did you, do you feel like it's moving more toward unisex or more toward women specific? What did you think for like this year's guide versus like last year's or the last one or two years? Um, yeah, from my perspective, it seems like the brands that have historically done women specific constructions, um, are still doing that. And those who have just gone with a unisex construction, maybe a different top sheet for the shorter lengths seem to also still be doing that. Um, so yeah, I haven't, I haven't noticed a, a big change when just, uh, organizing everything. Let's talk about boots, Alpine boots. Yeah. So in the past, especially like five or six years ago, I feel like the Alpine boot category, wasn't nearly as exciting as the touring boot category in terms of new technologies and changes year after year. But these days, I feel like it is getting more interesting in large part because similar to skis, we saw a lot of boot manufacturers making lightweight alpine boots with no walk modes. Over the past several years, I think more and more companies have kind of hopped on that train and added more lightweight boots. But then this year, and I guess to a slight uh, slight level last year, we're seeing both new lightweight Alpine boots and new boots that are very traditional, pretty heavy, um, kind of what you'd expect from a boot without a walk mode. Um, for example, the Atomic Hawks Ultra, uh, they added, it's still a lightweight boot, but they added a bit more weight to it um, to, as Matt Manzer discussed on whatever that was, episode 55 of 55. (laughs) Yeah. But they added a bit more material to that boot, um, to basically, yeah, help, uh, beef it up a little bit and avoid it bellowing out under very heavy, aggressive skiers. Um, but I think more notably, uh, had this year, uh, they, a few years ago, they had come out with the Nexo series, which were some of the lightest Alpine boots we've ever weighed. Um, and for 21-22, the Nexo was gone and they replaced it with a boot that is the opposite, basically. It is very heavy, um, seems like it'll provide very nice suspension, but it's definitely not one of the new lightweight boots. And um, I feel like in skis, everyone started to go super light, everyone joined on, and then we kind of saw companies 
put in a back, bit more weight back into the skis over the past few years. And now, I mean, maybe I'm uh, jumping at a, maybe it's not a trend that's going to continue, but at least right now we've got at least two or three examples of uh, maybe the, the curve balancing out and um, getting a few options on either side of the spectrum in terms of weight. Yeah. By the way, I can't wait to publish our head boots. We have we have news here. I mean, there's news here and I don't really feel like talking about it so much. I, I can't wait to kind of drop the first looks on some of this stuff. It's pretty interesting, right? I mean, my reference boot, the Head Raptor 140RS gets a bit of a makeover and there's a lot going on there. So when are we going to drop that stuff? I don't know. <laughs> Whenever I am not working 24-7. I know. I'm looking forward to that, um, but some interesting stuff going on on those uh, on those fronts, and and they are still the best boots out there because they're still white, white boot stees. Yeah, the, I guess that's the downside of the so the the new series is the formula. The formula. They are but black. D- they are black. Yeah. So not the best color. Not the best boot color. Do you have a favorite boot color? No, I would prefer black or as Over understated white? as possible. Oh yeah, I forgot. But unfortunately, the only boot that fits my foot is bright orange. <laughs> Great boot, but yeah, great boot. My, I might um, try the the Eric Pollard method of of dyeing them. Hmm. He has a he has a technique that apparently works well. Okay, am I allowed to say that on a Gear Thirty? Like every company that just starts making their boots white, I'll give them all best of awards. Well, you didn't give the Solomon S Max a best of. I did not. <laughs> That's because they got the weight. People love that boot. I I just that one. I'm yeah. You're right. Sorry, Solomon. So you do have a, a line. <laughs> I guess there is a line. And surprisingly, that line has to do with weight. <laughs> um, I don't think I feel the same way about white boot stees when it comes to touring boots. And I don't know why. Hmm. I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, the Scott Cosmos was kind of yeah, white. Yeah. Some of the Mistralis have been white. But nothing like as pure white as the Raptor. And honestly, like if you got caught in an avalanche white boot, if you end it's up great. head down. It's yeah. not great. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we're not we are not here to endorse AT boot stees, AT white boot stees. No, uh, for safety reasons. Okay, your boots are kind of yellow at this point. They're anyway. so yellow. <laughs> My, <laughs> it's not great. More to the point, the heels on those boots are like gone. That can't possibly be safe. Like my favorite, I have a couple versions of the Raptor, but my favorite favorite. Yeah, I've worn that heel off so badly, it can't possibly be safe. So I, I might sadly be retiring my favorite pair, but we have some interesting new um, new Raptors. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about those soon. We've got a lot of boots to be getting more time on. We've got the, well, we'll just leave it at that. But yeah, it's going to be a big boot year, I think. Plus Telemark boots. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Okay, that was the Alpine boot category. We've talked about we don't want to see a proliferation of white AT boots. Anything else we ought to say on the touring boot front, though? Yeah, I, th- I feel like the, the interesting thing with the touring category is it feels like some years there's a distinct emphasis on one particular air, like subset of the touring boot category, whereas this year we're kind of seeing new stuff tried on on in all areas of it. Uh, in the ultra burly 50 50 category you have um boots like the new Dalbello krypton that has tech inserts um despite being a alpine boot with no walk mode um in and the new technica coaches um that's still kind of that 50 50 boot category but it got a whole lot lighter so kind of the a, a different take on a 50 50 boot then in the middle, uh, we've got boots like the new Lang XT3 uh, Tour Pro, which I know you were a big, big fan of. Um, and then closer to the very, very lightweight end of the spectrum, I know Paul Forward is still kind of gushing about the Scarpa F1 LT. That's like his favorite uh, kind of boot around the one kilo category ever um and he's used (laughs) i feel like almost every boot that's come out in that category in the past decade or so um so yeah it's and main point is just there's exciting stuff going on no matter what sort of uh uphill skiing or boot packing you do i think we need a rant now in the past 
maybe we're getting kinder and gentler in our old age. Just worn, we've just been worn down into kindness or something. I didn't even have a rant this year, but maybe there are other reasons for that. But uh, you wanted to highlight something as you were still kind of seeing in some of the other buyer's guides out there. Is this fair? Yeah, it's, 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 it was something I had written down a while ago when it actually originally wasn't based around buyer's guides. It was just like comments I see over and over again on various websites, but then yeah, seeing, um, a couple guides, uh, excerpts from other guides this year kind of refresh the memory, but basically just this misconception in skis that stiff equals stable. Mm -hmm. And like, I can understand that stability might mean slightly different things to different people, but stiff and stable are not synonyms. And I, it just drives me nuts when people use them like that because I think, I mean, some people know what they're talking about. A lot of people do not um, just because maybe they haven't tried a lot of different skis or haven't actually like flexed different parts of the skis that they're talking about. But I feel like a ton of the comments I see, I'm like, go if you grab this ski that you're talking about and you actually flex its tip or its tail, um, especially the people who are like, it's, they're saying it's, it's stable because it's super stiff. It's probably going to flex softer than you think or vice versa. Like it's just the, the use of them as synonyms drives me nuts because a lot of really stiff skis aren't stable and a lot of really stable skis aren't super stiff. Um, and I just want it to end. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we've talked about this forever, but why not one more time? It's like, if it's real, real stiff and you're skiing it on a perfectly smooth groomer or a perfectly smooth off-piste face, then yeah, you're not, you might think it's stable, but it's when you introduce chundery, firm, bumped up conditions. I mean, again, think to go back to a mountain bike analogy it's like if you have to go ski something fast and kind of gnarly, do you want to run your suspension as stiff as possible? It might be fastest, but it might be an easy way to really throw yourself offline and into a tree. Is that fair? Is, this, is there a better way to sort of... I think that that analogy works. And it's also just the fact that like performance characteristics aren't solely attributable to, to one thing to one thing yeah it's like it's the reason we talk about all sorts of different aspects of a ski and it's like the same thing if like in you see so often in these other guides where they are basically it's like you start off a sentence with because of its x and y construction it handles groomers as well as the power some stupid thing like that but yeah it's like the skis, despite just looking like a plank of some plastic and wood, like there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into the performance. And mostly I just care about like, uh, how does it actually feel? Not it is stable because it is stiff or it is stable because it has a stringer of carbon in it or whatever it is. Yeah. And which is to say then again, I mean, this might be useful to some people listening. It's like, if you're ever reading a review and it's and it does that because of this one attribute x is the result yeah and like we talk about like in an effort to try and help people kind of like learn more about ski design like i'll often say like i think in large part because of its tips being a whole lot more tapered than all these other skis i'm comparing it to that's what makes it uh, looser in deep snow or something like that yeah we try and do a good job of describing the sum of all the traits rather than just focusing on one single aspect where to um so this is kind of part question that we got a little while back that we hadn't yet answered i don't think and part just something i noticed while we were updating the specs of the ski boot uh category this year but uh andrew had sent in a question um basically asking will all boots gradually switch over to the grip walk sole standard um and if so it, would it be silly to mount brand new skis with non-grip walk compatible soles um uh, with non-grip walk compatible bindings. Um, basically, are they are all non-grip walk things going to be outdated in the future? And I guess my first point is, yes, it do, it's, it's, I'm on board with 
no longer having grip walk and walk to ride that was very annoying um i'm so i'm glad that there's only like one standard now that kind of sits between alpine and the touring norms we are seeing the the vast majority of uh both touring boots and alpine boots are getting grip box soles now there are still plenty of holdouts including i mean any race boot it has uh, a solid plastic sole there are still plenty of touring boots that do the traditional full rubber sole which i am a huge fan of on touring boots because i still think grip box soles are not even close to as reliable when scrambling on rocks um when it actually matters like not just walking to and from the lifts or something like that. Like one of the scariest moments of my life was down climbing in grip walks, old boots on like, it was not large, but like, I don't know, 20 feet of granite and finding tiny uh, footholds. And I'm a little bit scarred from that. But anyway, um, yeah, I think grip walk soles will continue to become more popular, including with most Alpine boots and a lot of touring boots. Uh, the nice thing, however, uh, in terms of binding compatibility is that the vast majority of grip walk soles on um, Alpine boots and a lot of touring boots is that they are attached to the boot via screws. So they're removable and replaceable. And what I noticed this year is that a lot of companies either are sending their Alpine boots with both soles or are making uh, Alpine soles readily available if grip walk are what comes stock. Um, so I don't think we're going to be totally out of luck given that the, the screw on attachment is uh, kind of an, it's an inherent element of grip walk. So I feel like that'll prevent it from uh, prevent pe- people from being totally out of luck if they have traditional Alpine only bindings and get some new boots. Hey, one thing I also wanted to talk about was our, best of awards because i do think that a word of clarification is probably in order here i mean i thought we had made this clear you know in the opening section but i also realized there are a lot of people out there in the world who don't actually read stuff or maybe their reading comprehension could be better admittedly for years we've kind of done a weird thing with that best of section What we are not doing in that section is simply saying these are the best products in a given category out there, full stop, right? This is a subjective section. This is not some attempt at an objective section. And if you know anything about how we do everything at Blister, we're not really into like, here are the top 10 skis and you know, this one is an 88 and this next one is an 86.5. We think that's a pretty stupid way to do stuff, frankly. And as we were kind of talking about at the top of this conversation, when we're really drilling down with somebody, it's really just about like, who are you? What do you do? What do you like to do? Where do you ski? How do you ski, etc. And for all those reasons, like, well, this ski is an 88 and this other one's an 83. I think that's dumb. And that's why we've never operated that way. But I still think that sometimes people look at that best of and they're like, so like Luke, you put in there because you, you, you love this ski, the line blade, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody who thinks that we're calling that the best like front side ski, well, I'll just say this is as polite as I can be. They are wrong, right? Personally, I don't like that ski. And we have gone over this. Luke loves it, and I understand completely why Luke loves it, and he is not wrong. I do not like that ski because one of my favorite things in a carving ski is a big tail that allows you to powerfully finish a turn and get a lot of energy out of that turn. That's not the specialty of the line blade. Super fun ski, really, really good for all kinds of reasons. So like, I don't disagree with Luke here, right? And this gets to a bit of our point. Like if we were going to assign a number grade, right? I would assign a much lower number grade than Luke would. So we're sorry that this best of section requires like actually reading what we write at the front of the section. 
And I think we are actually going to like rephrase some things next year in that section. What have I left out here, Luke? Or what, what can you do to clarify what I've been saying? Um, that pretty much sums it up. But yeah, I mean, the I believe it's the second line in the best of uh, intro section is, so to be clear, other gear in this guide might be the better fit for you, but these are some of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and that's just, it's like, when we're putting together the best of each year, I send a note to a bunch of our reviewers who are contributing like, Hey, like what are your, uh, what are your picks this year? And they all submit it. It's like, uh, like Kristen Sinat nominated the Wagner summit 106 for yeah. the best of. And while I, you and I both really like that, that ski, she was the one that was like yep. blown away. Yep. And that she was the main reason why it was a best of this year. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's like there's tons of people who I'm like, yeah, for you, the the blade would be an F if we're yep. scoring it. And That's for right. me, it's an A+. Plus. Yep. Um, well said. Well said. Literally an F for, for one person. But that's everything, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, so I, I just continue to be a bit disappointed slash amazed at the inability for people to kind of recognize like or just read what we're talking about. And and another way to think about this though, in fairness, here's my more fair, me trying to be more fair and, you know, compassionate, Luke. One of the things to say about a lot of the products in our best of section is that we're kind of highlighting products that really, really pop in a certain way. And that would then, like the line blade is representative of that. It really pops. It stands out in certain ways. But if but what it is not is like the line blade earns a 10 out of 10 in these 11 categories, right? And so I don't know, that's just maybe a bit more context and um, maybe a necessary context. And again, we are going to kind of tweak how we talk about these things, but, but maybe a way for you guys to think about it is just like, there's something that jumps out. And in some ways, if you were going to ask me, let's go to a, you know, let's stay with a front side category. If you're like, no, I want an objective ranking of the best front side ski out there, well, that's a different criteria. And now it, if, if you want to push me into that corner, I would have to start thinking about what earns the highest marking across, say, 11 categories, right? Rather than having like a really unique attribute about the thing. Mm-hmm. I would also just say it's a dumb question because best is i think far too uh broad reaching for like in the front side category of everything from 60 underfoot slalom skis to narrow all mountain skis but anyways yeah i think that's a very good point and something that i've mentioned in the past it's like when people ask me what's your favorite ski i'm like like i've skied a lot of really good skis but the ones that come to mind are the ones that are just different in a certain way most of the time so that's a lot of the time what ends up in being my best of nominees and also at the same time there's there's skis like in the past we had um the the old nordica enforcer 100 and the old solomon qst 99 they stood out almost in part because we thought they could work for so many people it was like kind of a mix of both yeah yeah. Yeah. um but i mean yeah in the best of we say why they're in there and explain each of them so i don't know people read and if you don't want to there's other buyer's guides out there and they require a lot less reading Hmm, look at that compliment of sorts I think Kristen would call that one of my backhanded compliments. Yeah. On that note, I think we should get into what we are celebrating this week. What do you got, Luke? Um, I was kind of struggling to not choose skiing happening next week. Um, <laughs> You're allowed. Yeah, and I'm not going to because I need to find things other than skiing to <laughs> celebrate. Uh, and this week, uh, I... It's pretty lame, but I finally got new tires for my car. I had been running the same tires since the ones I, since when I got the car in, I got it from Illinois actually. And they were basically like, they never really had much tread to begin with. And by now they had almost none. Um, And while my car did a surprisingly good job of moving forward in snow and ice, it was very, (laughs) 
inept at stopping quickly and it's kind of important here um even though i barely use my car in the winter um yeah it's it's very nice to have tires that uh can both move forward and stop and it was <laughs> the the morning i finally was able to get an appointment at one of the auto shops here because um, everyone changes to their winter tires around this time so they're always backed up but the morning I got an appointment happened to be the last time it snowed a significant amount here and was actually cold. So the road was like fully covered in packed down snow. And there was like a line of cars doing about 20 miles an hour down the hill into town. And I was, I just thought it would be incredibly ironic if, if on my way to get new grippy tires, I rear-ended someone because <laughs> I couldn't stop, um, having never done that up until the, this point. But, uh, Anyways, got new tires now, and um, yeah, I'll just be whipping around all over the place this year. Perfect. I think what I wanted to celebrate this week, this kind of cracked me up. In our last Gear 30 episode uh, that I did with Luke Jacobson, where we were going over the Moment Skis lineup, we ended up talking quite a bit about snowblading and our upcoming snowblade video that we are now really, really close to being on the hook to having to make. And um, it's just the comments that were left uh, in Apple Podcasts from people rating and reviewing. Yeah, to get us to the to the 500 mark, it's this wonderful mix of really, really nice things and then people really seeming pretty excited about my potential dying. And it kind of cracked me up and I was laughing at a lot of these. Um, so uh, just for example, uh, so... TM King 1234 wrote, you know, favorite part of my week. Gear 30, favorite part of my week. That was really nice. Let's see. Dano MCQ, uh, looking forward to Snowler blading badassery. Nice, or we. Jacob just writes, we want snow blades. Let's see it. Fair. JTG 816, um, can't wait to see the Snowblade massacre. So, yeah, I mean, We've got somebody saying needs more snowblade content. Fair. Then we've got this one. This one definitely made me laugh out loud from Flub Stump. Jonathan Ellsworth must die. I mean, ski snowler blades <laughs> with telly bindings. Oh, and has good interviews with people about skiing, yada, yada, yada. So I get it. And I laughed about a lot of these. And I'm not even mad that people kind of want to see the snowblade massacre. Yeah. Well, on one hand, I feel like it'll be really uh, funny for people who have maybe never heard of the show and look it up on, on Apple and just see all those things. <laughs> like, exactly. wow, they're really into snowblades. Some are going to be like, I have found my home. Yeah, yeah but I mean, also I feel like we're going to have a, or at least I know I'm going to have a way harder time tele skiing than snowblading. Have you ever ho- hockey skated? No. I mean, I've like ice skated. Yeah, ice skated. Yeah. It's snowblading is basically like that. It's just all right under your feet. And yeah, it gets, it gets sketchy if you try and straight line because it feels like you're, I don't know, it's Luke, hard to describe. Luke Jacobson had me scared enough about that. Yeah. And you were saying before we started recording, you're like, I can't believe you've never been on Snowblades. My whole thing is every time ever in my life that I had an opportunity to go skiing, I was like, give me the things, like the tools that I like to do. It's like, I've also never eaten a steak with a straw. Like, why would I try that? perfect analogy that was a perfect no, analogy not even close yeah it's like have you ever yeah no it's like uh i don't know it's like a different uh appetizer with a steak you can have i don't know how to describe it yeah but that, it's, it's like, not it's not the wrong way to approach the mountain it's doing a different thing when you're going out skiing for a day and like it's the same reason that like i really like taking a snowboard out when i can because it's different and it's really challenging and snowblading is just a different way to go around the mountain and you don't always have to ski it the same way. I hear what you're saying and I appreciate it. I just have had such a monogamous, like a happily monogamous relationship with skiing. What can Snow, I say? Snowblades like, are the the mistress the that's going to come into your life <laughs> yeah. and ruin it. Yeah, exactly. And then when Blister goes to only Snowblade and Telemark, you know, coverage, people are going to be like, we never should have introduced him. We yep. never should have let the mistress sneak into the room yeah so um one more comment uh this was pretty great trav ryan title legendary show and then just said uh great show always informative hashtag death blade 
<laughs> so you guys are good. Um, we have a good audience and uh, we appreciate you all and appreciate the nice things you say and the, the comments you write in for guests and the rest. And we're going to have a really, really solid year of Gear 30. I know, I know kind of what's coming down the pipeline and we're excited about it and we hope you all are too. And uh, yeah, so you may have noticed I am not currently drinking any Whistle Pig. This is because we are about to stop this recording and then I am going to get back in the weight room, Luke Kappa, get back under the barbell squat rack. I've been prepping. I've been prepping for this season. Well, you've been, I don't know, just screwing around, by which I mean working on buyers, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go sneak a workout in now. And then tonight, I think it's a Whistle Pig 12-year-old rye night. So um, I think that's how I'm going to be rolling this evening. And Luke will probably, I don't know, be having his PBR or whatever Luke tends yeah, I to think do. I'm going to steal some Revel Shine wine. Are you you're going to have a little wine tonight? Yeah, maybe. I have to move a bunch of boxes and then answer a million emails. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. You're getting fancy. You told me before we started recording that you cooked vegetables yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I like this. I like this fancy loop. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's more out of more out of convenience, the life changes I tend to make. But um, yeah, yeah. Bought vegetables for like <laughs> what legitimately might have been the first time in a year. <laughs> it's like very embarrassing. But I think I, I, I have to mainly thank the toaster oven that's at our new place i have i've never had a toaster oven before and it's amazing um it's just like cooks brussels sprouts and carrots way faster way easier Mm. heats up faster i mean admittedly i initially loved it because of how well it made frozen pizzas (laughs) yeah but i haven't bought one of those in at least like two weeks so i'm on on the on the way up (laughs) is this the moment in time when you officially went from being sexy luke to fancy luke I don't think that'll ever happen. Well, no, we'll see. We'll we'll uh, we'll think about this. Anyway, people, um, listen. Thank you. That was a little conversation about the buyer's guide. We hope you have had a chance to check it out and buy one. Buy one before they're gone. This limited edition of the buyer's guide, not unlimited edition. It is a limited edition, but it is in fact limited in that there are not an infinite number of them out there. It is a very finite number and. Uh, Get them while they last, as folks like to say. So anyway, that is what we have. We are psyched for the lifts to start spinning one week from today and uh, hope you guys will be getting out on snow soon. Till the next time, take care. And that's it for this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Luke, fancy Luke, for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday over on our Blister podcast, where you will get to hear my conversation with the person who might be the coolest person in the world. His name is Rick Ridgeway. And like I said, I have been thinking Rick is probably the coolest person in the world. So anyway, it is an exceptional conversation with an exceptional person. Check that out Monday on the Blister Podcast. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you real soon.